Nice. Did you did you um, did you guys see that thread about? Sorry, just real fast. Did you guys see that that thread about the um like the AI cryptid? What? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. So it's Loeb, L O A B. If you search that on Twitter, I'm sure you'll find the thread. But basically, um, this this uh this this person kept like putting in certain keywords, and this the same image of this woman keeps appearing apparently through various keywords. Oh, cool. Um, and as as the AI you know learns, of course, that woman appears more often yeah. and in different contexts, and the image are fairly the images are fairly upsetting um so if that's your thing you should look it up uh yeah i'm in you sold me (laughs) one of my favorite things is i feel like for a while people were kind of afraid that because of the internet age and because of everyone having phones and cameras on them all the time that there would be like a decline in like cryptid like bigfoot kind of alien things but there's just this new weird generation of cryptids and stuff that exists and they rule uh yeah those pants what what's the name i always forget the name of those the some fresno nightcrawler is that what it was oh yeah the pants cryptid yeah yes the best cryptid (laughs) i do not know the pants cryptid i have to look it up it's it's walking pants yeah it's like cctv like camera Oh, like, like just pants. It it looks like a <laughs> pair of pants just walking through the darkness. Ah, <sighs> that's my favorite cryptid. Hello and welcome to Heroes Three, your Asian cinema podcast for the week. I am your co-host Carlos, not as lecherous gentleman thief Leon Roman. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm uh, I'm Matthew. Secretly holding grenades and several guns under my dress, Matthew Tusseroni. And I am Marty, uh, shamefully, Castle of Cagliostro Virgin. <laughs> and this week we are joined by Josh McKenzie to talk about the 1979 directorial debut of Hayao Miyazaki, Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. <laughs> Do I get to do one? Oh yeah, I'm sure sorry. Yeah, one. go for it, Josh. You're you're our guest, please. <laughs> uh, I am Josh uh, Zenny Goddess Snatched Waste McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Beautiful. Wow, different energy to the beginning of our episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't put my finger on it. Oh, different wow. but better. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So I guess I'm gonna try and do do a Josh here and. Um, <laughs> Uh, summarize Castle of Cagliostro. So if you haven't seen Cagliostro, uh, this is the second feature film in the long-running Loop on the Third series. Uh, And when the film starts, we've got our lovable thief Lupin and his eternal partner, the world's best sharpshooter, right, Jigen. Uh, They've pulled a heist. Uh, They've got a car full of money and are as happy as can be. And, uh, Pretty quickly, Lupin realizes that the the money that they have are counterfeit. These are fakes. And he's heard of uh, these legendary fakes, and they lead them to the Duchy of Cagliostro, a small uh, country in in Europe. It's definitely not just Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, They're making their way in their little car, and they uh, come across... Well, they get a flat tire, but then they come across a car chase, and... Uh, they see a young girl and she's being pursued by some goons and they make chase and we're rewarded with a beautiful car chase that I'm sure we'll get into. And uh, at the end of that chase, he does save the girl, but um, he does injure himself. And in uh, getting knocked out, she does uh, flee and then gets captured. Uh, what she leaves behind, though, is a, uh, a ring that becomes basically a MacGuffin in the film. And um, that also draws the attention of the Count. So there's a Count of Cagliostro who is preparing to marry this young girl. And uh, what you find out is he needs this ring. And uh, Lupin understands that there's some value to this ring. And then they're uh, accosted by some assassins that make them realize how important things are. Lupin and again, they make their way to the castle of Cagliostro. And he finds his way up to the uh, tower. There's a there's a prison tower where this princess is being held. 
and he promises to her that he's going to rescue her. But then uh, shortly after that, the Count shows up and Lupin is cast down into a hole and he... Um, he he wrangles all of these uh the normal characters that you'd expect from the series uh Goemon the samurai and the eternal pursuer Zenigata and uh all of these chess pieces are in play now and also Fujiko Mine the uh, um his rival lover also spy she's she's snooping around too and uh let's see where are we going from here Man, this is really hard. Josh, how do you do all this stuff every oh. week? Yeah, it's, it's a practiced hand. <sighs> okay, so yeah, we've got Zenigata. We've got Lupin down in the catacombs. They make another play to uh, save this girl, and that leads them into a big action set piece that uh, has Lupin actually getting shot, and Zenigata flying an autogyro, his his ship blows up and you think that all is lost but um lupin does uh he although he's in traction he does recover and um they they make a play to save this princess and i know i'm missing some major details but this is very difficult um there's a huge (laughs) gothic wedding with not klu klux klan members holding swords (laughs) and um lupan and zenigata and fujiko actually fujiko rounds these guys up to kind of (laughs) yeah to um to set the stage for this finale and lupan has this the ring and they get to this clock tower there's a huge uh amazing set piece and um lupin saves the princess but uh the count ends up with the rings and he solves the mystery of the rings but the mystery is his downfall he ends up dying at the hands of the clock itself and what is revealed to be this uh treasure that the rings were the key to was this uh, lost Roman city. And as the water empties out after the the clock tower crumbles, people see that there's this treasure here that isn't something that you can run away with. And uh, Lupin brings the girl back to her long lost dog and her caretaker. And uh, she confesses her love to him, but he does the, the more mature thing and, casts her away and says no you you gotta live your life i've got my own things to do in a very uncharacteristic move to what people would know from lupin normally (laughs) and that's the end of our film did i do it i know i missed a bunch yeah standing (laughs) ovation oh (laughs) well done josh i am bowing to you this is amazing how do you do this every week i don't know <laughs> what, what what you'll learn as you do more and more swim fans parody episodes is that um which <laughs> which details you can excise entirely um yeah but that yeah, was good we, we had as, the as you were cast. talking i was like every time oh. carlos is like oh i want to go into this thing so bad but i have to keep going yeah <laughs> i know that's sort of the thing i and I had this when we were preparing this episode too, because I'm seeing, you know, we're we're doing this thing now where each of the hosts pick their own movie for the last three episodes of the year, and I, in my mind when I set that up, I was like, this will be a cool chill time. <laughs> then Matthew's like, <laughs> I want to do Castle Caliostro, and Josh is yeah. gonna be here, and I was like, oh crap, I'm no. gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to take notes, and I'm gonna have to like, yeah. you know what I'm talking different about? Different than my show. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't not do it. It's messed up. I have a problem. Um, you're supposed to have fun on your podcast, Carlos. It is yeah. fun. And I, I do get into this groove. Like when I actually start to do it and start to get into homework mode, like I'm like, yeah, I just want to find out more and more and more. Because honestly, I, I, I guess, yeah, we'll get into the discussion here. Um, I being a fan of animation all my life and being a fan of Miyazaki and being a fan of anime. I honestly, Lupin is kind of a big kind of blind spot for me. I I had seen Castle Cagliostro because of Miyazaki um, many years ago, and I I own it and I have owned it for a while. But um, outside of that, I really haven't seen much of Lupin. And one of my friends is always kind of nudging me about that. So I do really appreciate us having this episode uh, this week because it's awakened a new interest in me. And I'm excited that there's so many different takes on Lupin. 
that I can really uh, get into it. But right now we're talking about Miyazaki's like debut as a director at, in a feature film. You know, um, he yeah with Lupin. Lupin, this is from 1979, and Lupin Part 1 had run just before that. And actually, originally it was canceled, if I'm remembering right. They were planned for 26 episodes, and they only did 23. But um, Miyazaki and his um, uh, frequent partner and studio Ghibli uh, co-founder, Isao Takahata, they co-directed some episodes of Part 1. And actually, a lot of little pieces from those episodes kind of formed what would become Cagliostro. And... um, I think that what we get here is a, a kind of a like what I was alluding to a different take on a lot of these characters but um a, you see a lot of the foundational like ideas behind what Miyazaki likes and what he wants to put in his films and I think it still really fits with Lupin and I think that um this movie just kind of really you don't need to know much about Lupin to enjoy it and i think it's it's awesome but yeah i mean okay i i did a little bit of talking but josh you're our guest here and yeah this is yeah that's because i i i'm this was my pick for the end of the year and i i wanted to do something animated that was that i had seen before and i was thinking we you know we've i don't we haven't done any ghibli on here so we could have done some of that but i this is just such it's kind of a it's a really cool one and no, just perfect I've, choice we had had we've had Alex on quite a few times. We had Craig on. I was like, oh well, this is a perfect time to get Josh on from Swim Fans, so we could complete the complete the Dove trifecta. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah your yeah. trading card set. Yeah. So, so Josh, yeah, what's your? I know you're a huge Lupin fan. What's your history with this with this movie and everything? This is probably only the third ish time I've seen this, um, and it's been quite a while since I saw it. Um, most recently. Um, because I've been very in like the in like the mystery of Mamo headspace for Lupin for a couple of years, but uh, I mean this one is I think it's underrated in terms of how I mean it's a very famous and well regarded movie, but I think it's underrated in how um, influential it was for animation to follow. Um, I think it's um, depending on who you ask, like Lupin fans, um, people have a bone to pick with this one uh, because of the sort of like the, this was the beginning of the, the back half of part one. And then into this is like family friendly Lupin where Lupin's not um, kind of a monster. He's not a sex pest. He's, he's, he's not, he's not a literal rapist. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, he's not doing kind of like Nazi stuff. Um, so, yeah. so like, uh, 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 and I, I think some people come to Lupin, I guess for that edge or whatever, but, um, this sort of like dashing, uh, rogue, um, thing is really what Miyazaki brought to the table, both in, um, the end, in the back half of part one and then here. And I think it's such a, it's, it's just such a good flavor of it. Um, because he does. Uh, like you were saying, Carlos, he does sort of like preserve the core of all of the characters, um, but he just makes them la- like like less gross for fun, yeah, uh, and <laughs> just and, and just like fun guys you like. Yeah, Lupin's like a big old sweetie in this. Yeah, he's 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 a uh, he's straight up gallant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, gallant. Perfect. Yeah, it really is. Totally. Mm-hmm. And that's I love that. That's like one of the last lines in the movie is Lupin running away and. Zinagata says to the to the princess, like, I have to chase after him because he stole something from you. You're hard. <laughs> like, oh, it's <laughs> adorable. Um, man, guys, I've just felt like so foolish this week. I can't even tell you because um, <laughs> I don't know why I've allowed Castle of Cagliostro to like remain a blind spot for however many years. But I guess my impression of it completely uh, wrongly was that I guess it was like a very, that it would be like a very compromised Miyazaki film and that he would be sort of like straining against the constraints of Mm -hmm. the property and that it would be like a very like shackled piece. And again, I just feel so, (laughs) I feel so stupid, honestly, because it's really like Miyazaki coming into his full powers and it's only, it's only logical. It's like, you don't have Nausicaa like, out of out of thin air um basically the incomparable run <laughs> following nausicaa um but yeah i was just like stunned with just how much of the miyazaki ethos is 
yeah, just like permeates the film. Um, I mean, visually, uh, and like temporally, you know, thematically, everything. I mean, mm. the the thing that is really funny is it's like I feel like the conflict between like the monkey punch character design and like the legacy of the like recurring characters and what Miyazaki is inventing for this film is I don't know. It's like <laughs> felt like a very pronounced tension, which I, I don't know made for something like really interesting. And even visually, it's like, oh, this is these people don't all belong in the same world. So it's like, I don't know, it's in like an opportunity for like Miyazaki's deft, sensitive, like personal touch in like more of a, I don't know, corporate machine. That's like overstating it a little bit. But yeah, not something I ever thought I'd see. And yeah, I honestly just fell in love with this movie. Um, Perfect choice, Matthew, because it also feels like a like the right way to get into Miyazaki for our little podcast. Cause I don't know. There's something about Ghibli, which is like, it's this enterprise into itself. It's like, it's not a genre. It's not, I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's <Right>. like <laughs> some kind of strange, um, uh, magic, but no, I thought, yeah, just beautiful. And I mean, in really just like so much of his aesthetic and I don't know why I wasn't expecting to find it here, but just, um, you know, the incredible, like, scoreless touch and atmospheric sound design, like, the very quiet camera, the, like, incredibly, like, grounded physics of, like, action that, I don't know. Um, But yet it's also, like, fighting with, like, this, like, I I feel like the best little stretch of the movie that depicts this is, like, when Lupin is, like, scaling across like ramparts of the castle like fantastically and then he finally like collides with this column mm. and as he collides with it is it it's like it's so grounded it's so physical and it's i don't know there was something that was like yeah just um yeah i was kind of ecstatic watching that and also the thematically what i love is i feel like we have like the x axis versus the y axis with like um Lupin yeah and, and his his nemesis it's like like yeah homie has like some width to his face <laughs> so, yeah I no I get you it's like there's there is a lot of um uh, the the uh, it's fine it's cool you mentioned the physics because I was thinking that this is definitely more cartoony in a lot of ways it's still grounded but it's not it's not like Looney Tunes cartoony but there is a lot more like wacky stuff kind of happening, but it does have like, it, it's like internally consistent, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. Like a person, you know, he, he runs across and like makes this impossible leap from like the top of this building to the, to the tower where the, the princess is. But it's like him climbing up to get to that point has a lot of weight. And, I really want to make a an infinite gif of him climbing up the roof and then sliding all the way back down and climbing back <laughs> oh, up dude. again. I, yeah, I want I want that gif from you. Please do that. Yeah. <laughs> what I don't know where I developed the impression that it's like this was going to be like a very cartoony affair. But anyways, again, I just feel so foolish because it's like I've wasted all these years of my life like <laughs> not not rewatching movies. So. No, it's well, a gift. Yeah. It's exciting. You have a whole yeah. like that's how I feel too. Um when I was really digging into this and like there's a whole mess of stuff now. Two varying quality, you know, varying degrees of quality, but there's still sure, like sure. I think one of the things that is uh that helps Lupin become so long lasting is that you have these players in this game and honestly you can just rearrange the dynamics and you can just throw them into different situations. And like you guys are saying that, you know, one foot in reality and how like the characters look like they live in a real world. But then the other foot is in like this Looney Tunes rules situation where um, everything can be exaggerated and everything can like really push the boundaries of their reality so far that it's, it's almost like, um, you know, roadrunner situations in certain aspects and i think a really good example is that that car chase at the beginning when um they get into this little fiat they have this little tiny egg of a car and um the the car itself has a character and you see it kind of burst into this chase and you're like there you know if you 
if you see a car like that, you don't expect it to handle the way it does. And you see it climb up the side of a mountain and it survives, a, you know, a mortar blast. And they're just l- smiling and happy during this whole ex- interaction. And mm-hmm. uh, y- you don't feel like they're invincible. You do feel like there's a degree of danger that they could get hurt or there there are some stakes involved. But it's also like you're just really you're in love with the animation that you're watching you know it's yeah it's completely. yeah it, it's really well thought out and um i mean i know miyazaki very um well known for loving his um cars and planes and even in that intro um the fiat that that they, they drive is the animation director uh yasuo otsuka who's like kind of a legend to me i i hold him very highly he um that was his car like they put it into the the film <laughs> because that was like his actual car oh and, really that's um, cool that's yeah amazing. yeah and the the car that clarice is driving is a citron 2 cv and that's become like almost an iconic car for miyazaki he's he's written about it a lot and um it's like one of his first like prize. Oh, dude, that's amazing. Yeah, automobiles. Well, and there's that moment where like the hood flips open, and mm-hmm. you just get all this beautiful detail of like the engine and um, underneath. Right. But it yeah. also is like I don't know, like you know, like a jalopy. It's like bouncing. There's stretch and <laughs> right. squash yeah. and stuff, mm-hmm. and it it I I just love how it dances between that realism and that fantastical like. You know, you know, you know, you're watching a cartoon, and like when yeah, Lupin totally. like saves Clarice at the end of that chase, you know, it's like, oh, they're they're hanging off the side of a cliff, and he's like struggling with her when she wakes up, but at the same time, the very it's punctuated with him crashing to the ground and having like a you know the tree land directly on his head. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect how it handles those uh, dimensions and dude, totally. yeah. yeah. Also, a quick shout out, like. There are just like no shortage of gorgeous painted backgrounds in the movie. Um, and honestly, like moving from Cagliostro to Nausicaa, you really feel like how much more of a shoestring budget um, Nausicaa has compared mm-hmm. compared to this movie. And I remember there's some kind of feature. Um, I have like an import of like the Lapta uh, Blu-ray. And they're talking about how the color palette for that movie was like, double the amount of colors for Nausicaa or something like that. But mm. um, really this film feels like spare no expense um, just in terms of color, uh, gorgeous painterly backgrounds, locations. It's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of insane. And you can see like, so swim fans did an episode on mystery of Mamo, which is the first uh, Lupin feature film. And you can see the difference between those, those movies too. That movie is cool. It's in a weird way. It's like a, Almost like a more of a James Bondish kind of situation, whereas like this is more like into the adventure side, something you'd see in like um, I don't know, like a Indiana Jones or like Tintin or something. But yeah, Josh, like um, I mean, I don't know. We've been taking a lot of this time. I want to hear more from you. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean that's absolutely what I was going to say. Is um, actually to tie kind of everything the three of you just said together is like uh, to compare this to Mama, which was a year earlier, nineteen seventy eight. It's very much more classic Lupin in that he's like lecherous and kind of like a like a like a like a freak um Jigen is much more disdainful of like Fujiko in the movie um so it it has kind of more of this classic uh Lupin dynamics that get sanded down in this movie but um like like Marty was saying I, I think what's like really special and unique about this is that um you do get this sort of um undeniable Miyazaki-ness to it that seems like it wouldn't work um, based on what on the characters you see right. in Mystery of Mamo, um, what comes to mind is um, like Matthew was just saying about the paintings. Is there's a lot of these still paintings of like water lapping at a beach. Um, uh, there's a lot mm. of still paintings of just like the sky and shadows going over hills. Um, and you know, you, you know, when I think of Lupin, those aren't the things that come to mind. You don't really think of like pastoral a pastoral quality or like this sort of. Um, this sort of like uh, like nothingness in a movie, you know, that um, informs uh, sort of vibe, right? Or like space and vibe. Um, right. And and as a result, I do think um, Cagliostro is like a quieter movie than Mamo, but I think that's very much to like its its credit um, as opposed to something that feels sort of atonal or doesn't fit. Yeah, beautifully put. So that's talking about quiet 
That was I, I watched the movie twice because I watched the I watched a dub of it and then I watched it subbed. And the history of it in America is really interesting because obviously, you know, it's it came out in 1979. But, you know, the only anime most Americans would have seen in 1979 is like, you know, Speed Racer mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So the first time anyone in America would have seen this that wasn't like a you know a freak that was getting get imported or something <laughs> um, is is actually in a laserdisc game <laughs> called Cliffhanger, Cliff Space Hanger, not to be used with the the, the movie <laughs> Cliffhanger um, Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and then doesn't that incorporate like elements of Mystery of Mama and yeah, it's yeah. Mystery of Mama and this okay. where it's but it's kind of like a um like a dragon dragon's lair kind of thing where it's like you, oh, awesome. you know, move left and right and it plays clips from the movie and stuff. Um and that would have been and that's that's this that's so bizarre to me. Um but the the dub that came over is in from 1991 is a streamlined dub and honestly it's not as bad as i thought it was going to be hmm. given given how rough most dubs from the early 90s are it was it was totally fine. Um the biggest thing though is that it's definitely not as quiet because a lot of times when there's not characters on screen they're saying stuff and like explaining things. Right. And and it's it doesn't like it doesn't change the context. It just kind of adds a little bits to it. Yeah. Um. But it's 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 fine. Mm. If you if you want to have it on and, you know, the background or whatever, it's it is totally fine. You can do worse. There is another one that came out later that I have no idea what it's like. But David Hayter voices Lupin, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. So the, that's the one that that I, I ripped and shared with you guys. So okay. the, it's the manga release of that. And um, that was like, yeah, because doesn't the streamline one like it didn't have somehow it didn't have the rights to use the name Lupin or something. I didn't know if that. I, oh, I don't know if that's the reason. But yeah, yeah they don't call him Lupin. Yeah, they called they him call Wolf. Him Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Which is and which is funny. There was a time where they were concerned with uh the rights because Lupin, because of the actual original book right of so they Arsen Lupin. yeah when they were bringing it out in the west they would kind of change the names so Lupin like that that could be translated like wolf so like they would just call him wolf and i think they called um i think they called Goman like just samurai if, if i'm remembering right but they, yeah, they, they called did. Him, at least Okay, and some I, I feel of, like I well, of them saying that, but maybe not. Yeah, I, mean, I think it, might, it may not have necessarily been in the Cagliostro dub, but they have mm-hmm. called him just Samurai, just yep. Samurai. Yeah, yeah. In the two, 2000- which I mean, at this point, Goemon basically just means Samurai <laughs> yeah. at this point, anyway. Yeah. But um, but, also, I love that that that's a bigger Lupin thing. I love that he's Lupin the third, and Goemon is is Goemon like the thirteenth or the 13th, something. Yeah, yeah so because it's he's like, like descendant from Ishikawa. He's descended Goemon. from the. Yeah, from the famous samurai. Which is also whatever, funny, but. too, because, like, he was kind of like a, a Robin Hood, the original, like, folk hero. Yeah, Goemon. yeah. And actually, if you look him up on Wikipedia, like, the history, you don't have to read too far in to see what his gruesome death was. Like, I think... He, yeah, he was boiled alive. He was boiled alive <laughs> once he was <laughs> captured. It's like, oh, all right, well. <laughs> How dare you steal from rich people? Yeah. <laughs> Teach you. I do really like Goemon, and actually... Uh, if if I were to fault this film, it were it would be just that we don't get enough of the ex the extra cast. Like mm-hmm. Jigen is there, but he doesn't really. I mean, he's a, he's a support, and uh, Goemon shows up just to kind of do a couple of things. And I I was like seeing him, and I think I remember in Mamo he does some cool stuff. Like he slices up like a henchman real bad in that movie. Yeah, and Fujiko's doing her own thing too, and she kind of is playing around in the background, but. Yeah, if if I were to fault the movie for anything, it would be just that it doesn't use those fun characters more than they. I love Fujiko yeah. in this. Yeah, this movie is unfortunately light on Fujiko, but uh, yeah. the the, the, the small bits are good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, that's but, so no, that's so cool to hear because it's like as yeah, like I mean, being supremely like uninitiated in Upon the Third, like I don't really have a history with like all of the ancillary characters. So for me, they're just like getting in the way of what I'm liking about this movie. So it's, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's cool. Like getting that, getting that sense of it. So, um, I, yeah, I, very well could be that thing where it's like, Oh, I think I want less of them, but no, I, I probably should just have a lot more of them. I, I do liken it to like a James Bond situation where you have all these staples that you know are going to be 
in whatever you see of a James Bond, but then you, you can you can see them play around with it in a lot of ways. Yeah, I um I'm personally Goemon's my least favorite. So I, I, I don't I don't mourn the lack of Goemon that much. I mean I like that he's there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um <laughs> Yeah, I I could use a little more Jigen because he's 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 pretty up there. Um but yeah, I mean this is that's sort of roughly what they what they do is they'll just sort of remake because like because like Goemon and Fujiko aren't always around. They um sort of come and go. Um so it's it's usually Lupin and Jigen and then Zenigata is usually there. Um and the other ones will typically sort of fade to the background if it's not like a plot about them. Like like Mamo is very Fujiko gotcha. heavy because it's kind of about Fujiko. So uh, I guess that one has maybe a little bit more of a of a character balance. But yeah, they they do kind of like fade into the background a little bit here. Matthew, I don't remember if you you did that when you visited the Galloping Ghost Arcade when you were here with us. Did we mm-hmm. did we do that? Because they they actually have cliffhanger there now. Did, oh man, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I not I don't remember. I feel like I would remember that. I don't remember that though. Right, nah. that was also like four years ago. But next time you guys are around, you could play. Yeah, yeah. If I ever pop by, and I want to go to the, the pilgrimage to the cliffhanger cabinet. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, and it's I'll awesome it because at Galloping Ghost, you pay to enter, but all the games are free to play because those games like Dragon's Lair and um, Space Ace are brutal when you have to pay for them, <laughs> like paying fifty cents <laughs> and just like messing up three times on something you have no idea what you're supposed to do is frustrating. This is a hard detour. Um, we, we don't have to stay on it too long, but do you know that joke in the Simpsons about the, the water world game where he will, where Milhouse puts in like a bunch of quarters and takes like a step and then immediately dies. Yeah. And they say you have to put in 40 <laughs> more quarters. Nice. 38, 39, 40 quarters. This better be good. Game over. Please deposit 40 quarters. What a rip! Someone made a game that is basically the idea is that it's that and then every time you die in the game you have to like use your hand to like put quarters in the machine <laughs> and then go back and keep playing it. It's, awesome. it's such a... It, it is like the the ultimate Simpsons shit post. Like yeah. I love I love crap like that. <laughs> Anyways, so this movie rules. Um, I love like everything about this movie. It is such like a archetypical kind of story. It's literally a princess in a tower, and like this evil conniving villain that wants money and all this. Like I love whenever a movie can take the most like bare basic like fairy tale kind of stuff and just elevate it through just incredible animation and storytelling i also like how it injects like the intrigue so you always get a sense that lupin knows more about what's going on than he's saying you get these Mm -hmm. moments it's like the cool collected character that you you know it's it's an archetype now but honestly i i feel like lupin probably helped form those archetypes like something like a spike spiegel and cowboy bebop wouldn't exist without lupin but i like that they do that a handful of times in this and i like there's even a moment where jigen like calls him on it he's like you know what you're you know what's yeah. going on you're not saying anything <laughs> <laughs> and he's like uh what <laughs> and then he like wrestles him to get the answers out so that that's really fun and um yeah the way that it kind of um ropes in all the characters to kind of set up things i think works really well and i also i've i've read this a couple of times and i tried to source it but i couldn't but they there's this thing that says like one of the dvd boxes said that steven spielberg like loved this movie and there's people that say that that's a lie that that wasn't a real thing and and i I honestly, I don't know. You could see it either way, but I really couldn't source that. So um, it's kind of fun to think that maybe something like this would influence something like Indiana Jones. And I mean, uh, I also mentioned Tintin a little while ago, and I think that um, Tintin really holds that kind of, it's like the the kids, the kiddie version of Lupin, where it's like, oh, it's a boy and his right. dog, and he's like, you know, solving mysteries. But you get these huge, like, adventures and these like big chases and puzzles and all of that stuff so um i think i think tintin's a pretty good comparison actually because it's like 
you know, there you have this the stable of characters that kind of pop in and out. There's you know, there's the the troublesome inspectors and, mm-hmm. and stuff like <laughs> and that. He, so I think that's a good. Doesn't Tintin also get kind of messed up too? Just like just like uh, Lupin does. It's just because just because right, it's right. old. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. There's a lot of. Europe, I remember watching. I was reading through one. <laughs> yeah, it's of them. Europe. It's Uh-oh. the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's European. It's it's European comics from like the 40s. So mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so Monkey Punch, Lupin. Lupin began expertly like, dodged Carlos. Yeah, but it was like it started in like '67, <laughs> I think, or '69. Like, and um, he was really kind of trying to make it like debaucherous and stuff. So, um, there's a lot of that, and he was honestly influenced by a lot of Western artists too. Oh yeah, so, like um, I'm, what's the artist from Mad Magazine? Mort Drucker. Mort Drucker's uh, cited as a Mark reference Drucker. of of his for for a lot of times and. Yeah, he played in those spaces. So I do I'm I'm all for the kind of modernizing of Lupin and I think it's danced back and forth over the years, right Josh? I mean, there's I mean, after like Redline, Koike does like a mm-hmm. whole run on Lupin and uh the way that he's characterized and some of the other characters are characterized wildly swings back and forth so i i think it's fun that they can play around with that that they don't have to like keep it family friendly they yeah. can kind of really mess around with that and actually like there's like a mature you know side to it all too i think that's really fun and like i i love how all the koike stuff looks but honestly i haven't taken the time to check any of it out but i i feel like it's pretty highly regarded yeah yeah that that is a fun thing about it is because you really can get um so many tones out of it. And I think it's because like the setup really is so simple, right? Like Lupin's going to steal something. Um, the other four are definitely going to show up in some capacity and you can either investigate them as people or not. And so you get sort of varying interpretations of that. Um, like you're saying, uh, the, the Koike ones, like um, the woman called Fujiko Mine and uh, Jigen's blood spray, or, I'm sorry, Goemon's blood spray and Jigen's um, gravestone mm-hmm. are sort of, more psychologically interesting like they're they're more like character study ish as opposed to just sort of like a caper of the week situations so they so you know they do they do get more serious like the 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 numbered series is um have really been sort of favoring the sort of gallant lupon that we see here um that we see in like the 2019 3d movie um so like the 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 sort of gallant lupon has been in favor the last few years but yeah, yeah, that's the that's the cool thing is like because you know, uh, Mamo gives you kind of goblin Lupin, like he's not like a freak, but he's not like family friendly either. He's just sort of like just a hedonist, which is fun to watch. <laughs> um, so yeah, based on who's interpreting it, you really it really does sort of refract, and you can get sort of like a new way to think about the characters. Like like just by point of example, I mean Jigen. I mean I mean even in this movie, Jigen and Lupin are not beating the allegations at the start of this movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, right. uh, 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 you know, Jigen varies wildly in how various people interpret his um, lack of interest in women, from like sort of not being interested in them to um, being in love with Fujiko, which I think is an odd choice, um, to hating them. Yeah, there's a moment towards the end of the film where Clarice um, kind of wishes Goemon and Jigen well. And they kind of like almost blush at the fact that this like, you know, cute young girl like complimented them in that way. I think that's that's something you I guess you wouldn't normally expect from these characters, but it's cute to see it in this in this film. Yeah. You also get Jigen with Fangs. We gotta mention that, right? <laughs> Fucking love Fangs Fangs Jigen. Uh <laughs> ha- Halloween spirit Halloween Jigen. Uh, <laughs> uh, at, uh, at, at at the goth clan wedding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was a fun little translation mystery that I saw like in the notes for this film where um, when when they so the emblem for the family crest is like these goats and those are on the rings. And when they first encounter like rams, right? Yeah, they encounter the counterfeit bills. They call them goat bills in the translation that I read. And um, I, I actually think what happened was it was a mistranslation. Uh, so. In Japanese, they say like goto moji when he's like looking at the the writing on the rings, and goto they translated it as goat. But actually, if you translate gothic, 
to in Japanese it would be goto like so it was actually uh, like they meant uh, gothic yeah. writing so um the bills i think in the new so discotheque released a, a special edition of this on blu-ray and it's like beautiful and um well one so that david hater dub they made like a family friendly version of that dub and they actually got David Hayter to come back and record new lines for that release, which is amazing. Huh. Yeah. And then they also like updated those subtitles. So when um, I think he calls it like gothic bills or something instead of goat bills. So I think the original translators were kind of led to goats because of the emblems on the rings and the family mm-hmm. crest. And they kind of mistranslated it, but I thought, I mean, it's it's a little detail, but I think it's kind of interesting yeah. to see how I like it both ways. Played. Yeah, me too. I think because because cool. goat bills sounds like um, slang that doesn't exist for like phony money, right? That's right. To me. Right. So like, I kind of yeah, like some it kind ways. of like early thirties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a very depression. A hey, goat, some goat bills. See? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I saw that pop up in the subtitles. I was like, oh, maybe that it seems it's capital G goat bill. So I was like going to look this up to see if this was a thing that exists. Like an expression. And it just leads you to this film. And then that's when I started digging a little bit and saw that that was this weird translation thing, which is pretty cool. Well, dude, we should like put it into practice, but like in like crypto, like goat coins, like basically all goat goat bills. They're all goat bills. A a listener (laughs) invest in goat bill now. Goat uh, <laughs> yep. your favorite crypto app the the heroes three <laughs> patreon only accepts goat coin, <laughs> goat coin. <laughs> um, download goat coin on your phone and then throw it into the river <laughs> yeah. I, I did want to talk about yasuo otsuka a little bit too because um miyazaki is you know the famed director of this film but yasuo otsuka is the animation director and so much of the things that happen in this film are informed by his taste and his like um, motion sensibilities so he became Mm -hmm. really known for some high energy animation from this time like going his career started in the 60s and like the beginning of like animation like feature film animation in japan it's not much longer, like a year or two before you see his name involved in things. And um, honestly, I would really love on Heroes 3 at some point to cover like some like old like toy like stuff because it's pretty cool. There's like that um, the 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 little prince and the eight headed dragon is this feature film that was really inspiring for like Wind Waker. Like if you see like images oh. of of Wind Waker and that side by side, you can tell that there's influence there. He worked on that uh, alongside of like a lot of these, uh, you know, Takahata and Miyazaki, not necessarily in that, but they actually like looked up to uh, Yasuo Otsuka. Like he was kind of like their senpai in a way when it came to animation. And um, I shared it with you guys, but and I don't think it's readily available online, but I have a documentary film about him called uh, The Joy of Motion. And it's it's a pretty dry documentary, but it's really cool to see him talk about the importance of like drawing and the importance of of movement in drawing. And there's actually a really amazing little segment where he is just talking and he's just drawing Goemon like do a slash like he does like maybe like six keyframes of a slash and the the speed in which he does it and the emotions that he evokes out of these loose like lines that he does is like really like beautiful i love it but i I would love to see that yeah yeah no i'll share it with you because it should be more readily available i think uh, it was only released in japan but the japanese dvd has english subtitles on it because i think it was um i think it was like an nhk like network like documentary but um like i said it's kind of dry but i just i'm such a huge fan of that dude that i like ate it all up and he has a pure love for mechanics so as a kid he like grew up drawing trains and cars and jeeps and you see all of that in here like Miyazaki also become known for that but I think a lot of the foundation of that is that he was in this kind of space with Yasuo Otsuka and they all kind of love that stuff so um you know when you see a car like Marty says when the hood blows up and you see all the inner workings of the engine you know realized in animation that's because of you know Yasuo Otsuka and Miyazaki just having love for all that stuff. Yeah, 
and yeah, probably and he, all of the the gears and stuff in the tower. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, Castlevania yeah. stage. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's all so cool and uh, and another machine uh, that I love that gets a lot of love in this is the auto gyro. Yeah, and yeah, I awesome. love I, I in my notes whenever. At one point, they said they're running for the auto gyro, and I said the auto gyro, aka the Miyazaki machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I love that they call yeah. it old fashioned, and it's like this like <laughs> this this uh, this uh, helicopter that's never existed in the world before. Yeah, it's <laughs> old <a good> hat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, the the auto auto gyros are really interesting because in they, there aren't in too many movies, but obviously, famously, it's in um. Uh, the Road Warrior is the, the the biggest other movie I can think of that has an auto gyro in oh, it. Oh, nice! And usually, whenever they're depicted, they fly kind of like helicopters, but they actually fly like planes in real life. Like they have to have a runway where they take off; they don't just like mm. hover down to the ground. Which I mean, obviously, it doesn't re- matter that much, but it's just it's it's been interesting to me because I remember when I first saw a movie that had one in it, I was like, that can't be real, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen they one. Are real. Yeah, I've seen one once at an air show. There was one just parked. It wasn't doing anything. But I was like, "Whoa! I I can't believe this is a real thing." And it looked yeah. it looked like it was like restored. But I would have loved to see it do anything because it's like it seems like it's not real at all. Yeah. Man, what else is there to say about this film? Oh well, the European visas that we see in this. And I actually was going to ask you guys: Have you ever heard of the term Paris syndrome? Paris syndrome. Yeah. Paris syndrome. Mm. Is that whenever like you go to Paris and you're like super disappointed because yeah. it's a gross dirty city. It's oh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's got roots. It's like a notably Asian like, Yeah, thing, like tourists like, coming from from Japan. Yeah, in Japan whatever. there's such a like romantic image of Paris that a lot of times well and I don't know how often it is, but it's notable enough that there's a term for it. Akogare no pari. Paris syndrome and they'll go to Paris and they'll be disappointed. It's like a culture shock of them. Not if it not living up to what they thought it would be. I think that's pretty funny. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you gotta, you gotta admit that Miyazaki is probably guilty of feeding that flame for a lot of. Oh yeah. 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 His, his, his Europe is too beautiful to ever really exist. (laughs) What what he did for the, uh, for the Mediterranean part of Europe in Kiki's delivery service. uh, (laughs) He did did them a big favor. (laughs) I think I'll just stroll in with like no ID, no money. I'll be able to Uh, live comfortably. Uh, and we haven't even mentioned the music. So Yuji Ono, the composer, very notably for the Lupin series, does work on this. And actually, I took time to watch just one of the episodes that Miyazaki directed. He directed two episodes of part two. One, like, it's like a cool, like, action, like, air chase kind of episode. And then the last episode of part two. But what I did notice is that uh, in the episode, that the air chase episode, they used cues from Cagliostro. So I had to actually ask my friend that knows a whole bunch of this stuff about that. And he said that, yeah, after uh, Cagliostro, they folded in a lot of the music cues from Yuji Ono. Because he was doing the music. F- He's done most of the music for the series. I don't know if he's done everything, but I'm willing to bet that it. Yeah, it looks like even did. the like the CG. Yeah. Uh, movie like yep. recently. Like, so they they started yeah. to incorporate the music that he used in Cagliostro in the series also, and it, I mean it's amazing. There's some really beautiful moments, even right at the beginning when uh, Lupin and Jigen are running out of the casino. The music cue follows their motion, so they like they're running and then they do like this long leap. Yeah. The- <laughs> Yeah, and there's like this like really fun kind of like yeah music. Cue. It's very it's very 70s anime. Yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah. like weird synthesizer thing. And I think this would be the only time that Joe Hisaishi doesn't work with Miyazaki because it's outside oh, of his relationship yeah, yeah. with Ghibli. And actually, uh, if you watch Nausicaa, I, I I love Nausicaa, and I'm sure at some point we would probably talk about it on the podcast, but I, I took time to revisit it because of this episode, and the music for Nausicaa 
wasn't as orchestral as I remembered it. There's some synth going no, on. It's in very that. synth. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like yeah. it's mostly the like um the Fairlight synthesizer, which mm. like oh dang, Joe, Marty Joe right. used kind of like throughout the eighties. But that's nice. like that's um, a Marty is like the I like I like Joe's synthesizer <laughs> stuff personally. <laughs> Marty's the music knower. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But actually, so like, uh, it was a really popular synth um, in like '80s and '90s film scores. So like the like both the Brad Fidel Terminator scores are like all Fairlight. Um, oh dang! Oh cool! And so it's like, yeah, you're he- hearing some of that sound. But um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's always fascinating um, when there's a director who has like a long running composer relationship to see what happens when they work with another composer and it, I don't know, it reveals so much about like, okay, what might I credit to like the director's sensibility here? Um, And again, for me, it was just like the incredible, like stark silence. Um, There are just so many stretches of the film where I have to imagine Ono would have wanted to like score these beats, but it's just, yeah, Miyazaki's always had that sensibility of, really kind of like pulling you in with these like arresting, like long silent stretches. Again, it's like, he's really like, I don't know, almost always imitating cinema. I feel like, I don't know, almost more than any other like animator that I can, that I can think of. And that seems to be like, like, yeah, a dominant, like part of his grammar is just that. And yeah, I don't know. I found it really striking in this movie, but, but yeah, there, there, um, there's like it's it's not quite a full cue, but there's this little like sting with this like synth arpeggio that happens like maybe four or five times in the movie, and that did remind me of like similar kinds of stings in um, Hisaishi's Nausicaa score. So mm. yeah, I don't know. It's there's almost never <laughs> enough information about like the nitty gritty of um, director composer conversations, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, you, I don't know. Starting to get like a little taste of like what exactly Miyazaki is maybe asking for. Yeah, and um, there's an anime anthology a film called Robot Carnival that I really like. And for years, I've always loved that movie, and I'd always revisit it, revisit it. I never realized though, but uh, Joe Hisaishi does the music for that, and it's almost entirely like a synth, like scored, like each segment. Um, yeah, totally. Well, it's crazy. I mean, like he was initially like a very avant-garde composer and like mostly preoccupied with like synthesizers. And I think it's really through like working on the Ghibli films that he kind of becomes reborn as like this neoclassicist and mm. like there he sort of lives. But yeah, it's like he really kind of cut his teeth um really in like much more avant-garde space so yeah super interesting did you know that um his name is a play on quincy jones <laughs> quincy jones yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah just rearranging the syllables in japanese for quincy jones and kind of playing around with it that's why his like artist name is joe hisaishi i think that's hilarious huh, that's but, amazing um, <laughs> yeah that's yeah funny. yeah okay but yeah all right man castle Cagliostro, josh so happy to finally have you on the show. The The pact is complete. We can now summon the demon. Yeah. <laughs> All of the hosts <laughs> have been in the same podcast. We can bring point. the ghoul back from the dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can get the podcast possessed, which is definitely what you want. <laughs> That's what you want. Um, I do have to ask you, do you have an emoji for Castle? Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, shit, I haven't done this this gimmick in so long. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the little car and a bomb. And the, yeah. the, the dollar sign with the wings on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, okay, wait, here's one. Um, the red balloon emoji, um, because although delicate, uh, it too can achieve freedom uh, as it floats <laughs> away from its captor. Oh, beautiful. There you go. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, no, th- thanks so much for having me. Uh, mm-hmm. If uh, I don't know if anybody out there wants to get more into Lupin, um, I've already raved enough about Mamo on this, but they just released a new Mamo Blu-ray that is uh, extremely good. If you like more like this kind of Lupin, the 2019 3D film is not bad. Um, mm. Oh, awesome. Yeah, those are sort of the family friendliest Lupin 
uh, series of uh, part one, two, and three are definitely uh, get a bit grimmer. Um, and four, five, and six look good, uh, but the plots on, aren't always as good. But there's just, there's things to love in every in every generation for sure. And now they just recently announced a Lupin Zero, which seems to be like youthful young Lupin, and it, it's by TMS actually, Tokyo Movie Shinsa that uh, handled this film too. So um, the trailer that I saw looked really nice. Um, no, I haven't seen that. That's cool. Yeah, I just that's just within the last like couple of weeks that they revealed that trailer. Um, did you ever see the uh, live? There's two live action Lupin films. There's one from the seventies, and then there's a, a more recent one directed by Ryuhei Kitamura, who uh, we did discuss huh. in our versus episode. So um, I've never seen it. I've always kind of been curious. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Uh, what's appealing to me about Lupin is that he's a bunch of lines. Oh, beautiful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I love that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, sure they're, I'm sure they're cool, though. <laughs> yeah, Kitamura is really wild. Um, and I, I would like to see what he would have, what he does with Lupin, but I don't know mm-hmm. if it's good or bad. So does anyone else have any final thoughts about this before we wrap it up and get some plugs in? No, just... Just gratitude. Um, yeah, so happy that you're here, Josh. That just feels perfect. And again, oh, Matthew, shucks. like an amazing choice. And um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like my like, yeah, cold, shriveling heart just really like swelled watching this. <laughs> yeah, this is like just a you total know, gift. I almost have a feeling this is this is very narrow casting to uh my my fellow co-hosts but i feel like i might have felt watching game of death 2 like you're feeling watching this oh wow cuz oh, i could totally it, i could totally see that it feels like you've watched all of the movies that are like this and then mm. you see another one you've never heard of and you're like oh there's another one of these yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude no totally yeah yeah exactly (laughs) i i just i i reiterate what i said earlier where it's like i'm glad that we did this episode so i really took the time to dig into what lupin is i have a like great understanding about what it is and i'm really excited to uh really check out because like there's so much there's all the parts that josh mentioned i think every year i don't know if they've consistently done it but for a while every year they were doing a special there's a a Lupin versus like uh, Detective Conan, which is crazy. The, 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 the Conan crossover, listener. If you're a Detective Conan fan like me, you should <laughs> definitely check out the crossovers. Oh man, they're, that's cool. They're very fun. I remember at, at back in the day when I was going to this anime store, when I kind of found out about all of the stuff that I end up liking. Um, they had a tape to rent for like the first like two or three episodes of Detective Conan, like fan subbed. And I saw this show and I was like, whoa, this is like this is like Scooby Doo, but like better. And I was like, <laughs> where are more episodes of this? And he never got more. But now we live in a world where there's like, I don't know what, a thousand episodes of Detective Conan. Yeah. And he is he still a kid? Is that still a thing? I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, he's still. Oh no, the episode's, <laughs> the episode's three hours long, listener. Uh, yeah, yes, he's still a child. Um, he has been a child uh, um, orders of magnitude longer than he was a teenager. Wow. Uh, and, uh, he uh, has be, he has reverted to teendom maybe half a dozen times through various story contrivances. Oh my god. Um, my personal favorite, just very quickly, is uh, so everybody who takes the poison gets one of these. It only works once, but if you drink this certain Chinese liquor while you have a cold, um, your body will reject the poison that keeps you a child, and you will temporarily return to adulthood. <laughs> oh, man. So this poison, it persists throughout the series? Yeah, yeah. Um, there so is this are... like a, I mean, not to sidetrack again, but is this like a One Piece devil fruit situation? No, there's because there's only a few people who take the the poison because they figure the black organization figures out fairly early on that it doesn't kill you; it just turns <laughs> you into a child. So the only major characters who have it happen to them are Conan, and then um, the person who made the poison, I. So she's mm. a child, and he's a child, and they're stuck that way. Um, 
but uh, uh, no, they stop using the poison. They figure it out fairly quickly that yeah, it's no that's, good. That's awesome. So, oh yeah, Matthew and Marty, if you don't know, Detective Conan is about a, a young hotshot, like almost like a Sherlock Holmes type kid. And um, he gets caught up in this thing. And the basic premise is that this criminal organization, they try to kill him, but he turns into a little kid. So then he's a little kid detective. And that happened, like, I don't know, honestly, like when I was in high school, and it's been like, you know, 20, 20 plus years, and he's still a little kid. So he would have been older now than he was when he was a, got turned into a kid yeah. or whatever. Um, but there, there's a film where that property crosses over with Lupin. So you got this Lupin, the detective, Bring it all the back. detective versus the, the thief. So it's like, yeah. This kind of I like it. peanut butter and chocolate situation. <laughs> Truly. There's a few of them, actually. Um, most of them are pretty fun. Oh, wow. Well, cool. Awesome. Um, my only final thought is that we didn't talk about Zinigata a whole lot, but Zinigata rules. <laughs> Zinigata is so good as this, as the constant uh, antagonist that also teams up with the bat, with, with the, the hero. And he's just, he's fun and goofy. In all yeah, right and what a, what a moment of glory when he goes down into the like um, <laughs> counterfeit basement on camera. Yeah, that part's so cute. Yeah, oh, yeah, hamming it up on camera. Yeah, it's oh, beautiful. You're like, what? What is all this? Is this counterfeit money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I tried not to pollute your podcast, so I was very normal about Zenigata, but he's easily my favorite character. Oh, yeah, no, that's I, awesome. across the franchise. That's it's funny whenever. Um, Whenever you're posting about uh, <laughs> like getting prepped, I was like, "Am I am I gonna have to rein in Josh talking about?" <laughs> no, I was like, "I'm gonna be very normal on this on this podcast where they have uh, uh, warmly welcomed me as a guest." Uh, <laughs> well, maybe next time. Maybe I do, next time. I mean, okay, real quick before we wrap things up, I do feel like there's parallels to like a lot of stuff that we've talked about, like John Woo's heroic bloodshed stuff. We talked about like kind of like the bond between men and how it's like it's portrayed as this kind of maybe it'll be portrayed as a rivalry. Maybe it's this cat and mouse thing, but maybe they'll kiss. Yeah, the 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 whole like <laughs> thing about the relationship between two like strong characters like that that kind of are bonded for life but are at odds at the same time. Like that's happened so many times in a lot of the Hong Kong films that we cover. And I mean, obviously here you you see like there's different degrees to that uh in in what we've seen even in just this film, but uh the whole Lupin series. Mm-hmm. yeah totally alright well uh, thank you so much for listening first before I do plugs Josh you plug away uh, yeah I mean again thanks so much for having me uh, without Heroes 3 there'd be no swim fans so you're the <laughs> the, the fathers of swim. you're responsible for swim fans <laughs> don't, don't, don't put that evil on me Josh <laughs> too late I've already, I've already shifted the blame uh, if, if, if you are um, interested in Lupin at all um, I highly recommend our swim fans episode on Mystery of Mamo uh, because we have um, a good friend of mine, Shannon Strucci, on the show, and Shannon knows much more about Lupin than even I do. Um, so, if you want like a basic primer or just a person who really, really, really likes Lupin, um, you should listen to our episode because Shannon has a lot of good info, including about Cliffhanger, which I had never heard about before that episode. And uh, besides that, you know, you can um, find uh, me speaking more uh, thoughts on Swim Fans with my co host, Craig and Alex. Um, and I'm also occasionally on the One Piece podcast. So uh, I love talking about cartoons and movies and whenever those things interact. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for checking us out. And again, thank you so much, Josh, for being on. If you like the show, then you can leave us a review on whatever you're listening to this on, like Spotify or iTunes or, uh, you know, Podcast Addict, whatever you're listening to this on. Um, but you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Heroes, the number three podcast on all three of them. And so next week to continue on our our, our kind of end of the year favorite picks, or not favorite picks, but personal picks for the episodes. Uh, next is going to be Marty. So Marty, what is our training for next week? 
Oh man, I'm so excited to like uh, share this experience finally. So uh, I'm picking uh, 2001's My Sassy Girl. It was like a crazy sensation in South Korea when it came out and just like dominated so much of my life at the time. So yeah, super excited to get into this movie. Definitely the most like rom commiest of of anything we've covered. So um yeah, no fun. fun. No kicks? No no roundhouse kicks? <laughs> oh dude, no, there's a lot of um like mother on son violence that's okay, <laughs> that's rare. Go. That's a, that's a premium. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I'm hyped. Right. Um well next we're gonna take a look at my sassy girl. Uh, taking us out this episode is gonna be Fire Treasure, the opening uh, theme song in this. See you next week. Bye. Sweet. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, you're going to have to put uh, Miller Ball Breakers up at the top of the episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.